0: You're listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast on the 5x5 Network.
1: You're listening to episode 277 and I'm your host, Brittany Martin. Michael Kelly is a senior engineer with Stackshare and a passionate contributor to the open source ecosystem. He's been building web applications for nearly a decade and loves introducing new technologies to old code. Outside of tech, he's a father, husband, and biker that is happy to work on engines of any kind. Welcome to the podcast, Michael.
0: Hey, Brittany. Thanks for having me on.
1: Well, Michael, what is your developer origin story?
0: Oh, that's a fun one. Um, so I actually, uh, way back in college, um, I was a physics major uh, and did the whole pure science thing. Um, and uh, that was not much of a career maker. I'll uh, I'll say that. Um so i uh i actually got into computer science through my work there Um, and my degree is actually in games development Um, that's something that i'm actually pretty passionate about uh, is how you know high performance simulations and things like that work Um, now as i uh, (laughs) as i quickly discovered uh, back then i was not regionally located for that um, and just kind of found jobs uh, doing web development work. Um, started out small stuff with uh Microsoft SharePoint and uh other other MS technologies. Um and oh six or seven years ago found Ruby and, and Rails specifically and kinda haven't looked back since. That's I kind of found the language to you know to do what, what I love.
1: That's amazing. Now do you still dabble in game development at all or do you keep up with that community?
0: Uh, I do a little bit. My, uh, my wife is actually, uh, does a little bit of that work. Um, and so occasionally I get to, to help her out with things or, or kind of get that window into, into that world again. Um, it's, it's interesting to, to, to keep up and watch it. Um, it's definitely not, you know, not what, uh, what keeps me going day to day at this point anymore though.
1: Interesting. So you did mention that you eventually got into Ruby and Ruby on Rails. So what is your experience with Ruby on Rails?
0: Uh, so I've been doing, uh, Ruby and and rails specifically for, uh, up to six or seven years now. I think, um, I, uh, I originally, I got an opportunity with a small advertising firm here in Atlanta, Georgia, um, that did Facebook advertising and they, uh, they were doing a training program. Essentially, if you had experience, they'd bring you on, but they would teach you Ruby, they'd teach you rails. Uh, and that was that was kind of the first place I really got exposed to it. Um, but since then, I uh, I've mainly bounced around the uh, the startup scene, um, you know, doing some greenfield implementations here and there, uh, uh, kind of solidifying code bases for for growth that that kind of thing. So, um, you know, I'm really kind of anywhere in Rails at all, um, front end, back end. It's it's just kind of where I've ended up.
1: Very cool. Well, I have checked out Stackshare before. Can you talk a little more about the problem it's trying to solve?
0: Absolutely. Uh, so Stackshare, uh, Stackshare originally came around uh, in response to uh, something our, our CEO, Jonas, CEO and founder, um, was was noticing around him um, amongst uh, CTOs, engineering managers, people in those kinds of positions, uh, there was a lot of... Uh, manual conversation about tech decisions. You know, should we use Heroku? Should we build on AWS? Should we use uh, this tracking software? Should we use this, you know, uh, log aggregator, what have you? Um, and it turned into a lot of back and forth, like email, Word doc kind of communication. Um, and he noticed a real, uh, real opportunity there. Um, so what Stackshare aims to do uh, is to make tech decision-making Uh, an easier process. Um, So right now, if you are developing an app and you need a solution for, say, performance analytics, there's, oh, I couldn't even sit here and list all the different options there are. You know, there's famous ones, there's less than famous ones, there's a hundred different ways to go. And it it can be a difficult problem to suss out what the correct solution for you is. Um, And Stackshare provides a platform For developers and managers alike uh, to see information about what tools other companies are using, get information about the actual decision making process that went into using a specific technology. You know, why, for instance, why at StackShare do we use React? Why at uh, CodeClimate do they use, you know, XYZ technology? and we uh, actually recently have, have rolled out uh, our decisions feature, um, which is user generated content about those decisions. You get it from the word of the developers themselves, you know, what the, the actual decisions that went into choosing this were. Um, so in that way that like uh, LinkedIn is the uh, professional network and Facebook is a personal network, Stackshare is the technology. Network. We are the, the, the technology graph on the internet. We want to expose that information to make a, an engineer's job uh, that much easier.
1: So there's a lot to unpack there. Now, first (sighs) of all, I want to thank you for not naming all the performance analytics companies because the show notes would get real long. (laughs) (laughs) But um, where does StackShare get the majority of its information? Is it using a tool like BuiltWith in order to scrape sites or are you actually enlisting users to come onto the site and share what technologies they're using?
0: Uh, So primarily the second there, we, uh, the, the information that we have about companies, about tools, um, and about users and their tech stacks is, is primarily, uh, self-reported. Um, we do have some efforts in place to, uh, go out and use, uh, tools or even our own, uh, development similar to, to built with, um, to kind of glean, you know, publicly what, uh, what kind of tools are in your stack. Um, For instance, job postings are an excellent source of tech stack information. You know, you're looking for a candidate that knows about, you know, X tool, Y tool, and Z tool, and you post that information publicly. Clearly you care about those tools. So there's a, at least a likelihood that those exist in your stack. Um, But that's all kind of looking towards the future. As of right now, Uh, The vast majority of Stackshare's data is is completely self-reported and and maintained by the companies and tool owners themselves.
1: Well, the cool thing about job postings is that you could probably even get ahead of what they're currently using because a lot of job postings are even aspirational. It's tech that they want to be using. Mm, And so that that could be really cool. yeah, I really like the idea because when I go to use a library or when I'm making a commitment to a framework, it, it, it is very assuring to me to know which companies out there are using it. And of course, the community loves to debate whether or not Ruby and Ruby on Rails is, is dying or dead. And so Stackshare is a place where you can confirm, yes, it is still thriving.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. We uh, we make it pretty easy to follow uh, news and changes for, for different tools as well, um, in our feed. Uh, and of course I'm, I'm subscribed to rails and and I can promise you it's still around. Um, it's still thriving.
1: Awesome. I think every show I like to affirm that. So we, we, we can take that one off of the, uh, Ruby on rails podcast bingo list. (laughs) Nice, There we go. Now this seems a little tongue in cheek, but what is the tech stack of stack share?
0: (laughs) I, uh, I'll email you our tech stack profile link um, so uh, stack share um, so I guess high level because our tech stack is actually pretty large um, if you if you take a look on the site itself uh, but primarily um, our app is hosted on Heroku um, we do have several parts of that on AWS it, that's kind of part of a larger migration over to an AWS infrastructure um, we use Circle uh, CircleCI, uh, GitHub, um, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, let's see, our language-wise and framework-wise, um, we are a Rails app, uh, however, over the last year, we've moved from a single monolithic uh, application to an actual split front-end, back-end repo. Um, our front-end is, uh, the majority of it is React, um, our backend obviously is is rails. Um, and our our presentation layer, um, we're actually beginning to use pretty exclusively uh, uh, React, Apollo, and GraphQl Ruby uh, on the back end.
1: Now I imagine that was a massive undertaking in order to split a legacy application in half like that. So what were some of the gotchas that you experienced?
0: Oh, well, it was it was actually. <laughs> It wasn't so terrible. Um, I, I say that because we the what necessitated splitting the repo like that um, was was kind of in in favor of what we were already doing. We were uh, our legacy front end was um, old school standard Rails, uh, Hamel views, um, you know, a lot of spaghetti JavaScript uh, in in the asset pipeline. Um, and uh, in cleaning up a lot of that and actually committing to React, um, it, it became kind of a requirement um, as, we, as we separated these because GraphQL itself, one of the main reasons we adopted it was because it allows, at least better than how we were set up before, uh, allows for parallel development streams on the front end and on the back end. You get to decouple those a lot more. Um, and to that end, if we split the repos the process and the development workflow itself also uh, gets to be paralleled a lot more. Um, now, in terms of gotchas, uh, honestly, some of the biggest issues we ran into uh, were in terms of uh, kind of inventorying and understanding what needed to be moved and what honestly had sat there un- unrendered for you know a year or so um, and kind of sussing out what to be you know where to cut that line, so to speak. Um, that's that's one of the most difficult things. You'll you'll find you know after you've split it that you know oh no we've lost two pages because we didn't recognize that those views were still used or what what have you. So it's it can be a, kind of a massive and tedious undertaking. But I you know I can tell you that after having done it, it, it was worth every bit of that work. Um, we we we've got completely separate. Uh, work streams at this point and you know entire features that don't even touch the back end or entire features that don't touch the front end so it's it was definitely something that had to happen and we just kind of had to you know heads down and trudge through it until until it was all done.
1: No that makes a lot of sense because you see a lot of situations where you have a feature request back end might work on it and they essentially throw it over the wall to the front end or vice versa and really, front end and back end aren't working on it at the same time unless you've got a very tight ecosystem that it can allow something like that. So by decoupling them, you're getting away from that, and you're allowing the front end to have the power of requesting the data that they only need, versus the back end trying to guess all the things the front end could possibly need.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and we'll—I think—we'll get into this here in just a little bit. But that can also be kind of a double-edged sword. You know, you you enable the the front end to the power to to kind of shoot themselves in the foot um, in some cases. Um.
1: Well, with that lead in, we're going to take a quick (laughs) word from our sponsor, Indeed Prime. Are you ready to put your Ruby use in a job that you love? Indeed Prime is a confidential free service that puts you in front of leading brands and tech startups with roles that you're interested in. They find out what's important to you and match you with your dream job. All it takes is one free application to connect to thousands of companies in over 90 cities. Companies like Twilio, Overstock, Sling, WP Engine, PayPal, and VRBO. Skip endless resumes and get matched to employers based on your skills, experience, and your salary goals. You even get access to one-on-one technical career coaching that includes resume reviews, mock interviews, and salary negotiation tips. So whether you're hiring or looking, meet your match on Indeed Prime. Join now by going to indeedprime.com slash Ruby on Rails. Thank you to Indeed Prime for sponsoring the show. So let's talk about the gem you recently published, GraphQL-Cache. What was the genesis of it? Uh,
0: So GraphQL Cache actually uh, grew out of some of the pains that we had uh, adopting GraphQL. Um, At Stackshare, one, we're a very uh, data heavy application. so there's a lot of a lot of data flying around uh and from a lot of different sources so um, in one api request we may you know we have the standard database accesses but we may also reach out to uh, one of our partner services um, the specific example being stream uh, who helps build our feed product Um, so we have a lot of data that we're marshalling from a lot of different places that all kind of have different considerations in terms of staleness or uh, performance. Um, And what we needed as we found out as we began kind of developing our resolvers, uh, there were a bunch of them that were fairly heavy computationally that weren't very mutable data. Um, They were things that tended to stay the same fairly consistently and mostly had to do with structure. Um, And so, similar to uh, like rails action caching or view caching, uh, we approached that as as a possible solution and and it seemed to work pretty well in a lot of cases. Um, but we uh, we ended up with a lot of boilerplate uh, all over the place. Um we were we essentially were developing resolvers that all also opened a rails cache block. Um, so it was very dirty, and we ran into, a lot of issues where uh, cache keys weren't um, weren't handled very well in some cases, uh, and it wasn't necessarily, um, it didn't necessarily work very well with kind of the underlying nature of GraphQL in that the backend has no idea what's being requested of it at any given moment. Um, and so GraphQL cache is actually uh, an integration into the GraphQL Ruby gem itself Uh, We actually tie in as a a tracer, similar to like the New Relic integration, um, and automatically wrap every resolution with this cache block, um, assuming, we essentially turned caching into a configurable aspect of a GraphQL field. You add a little, uh, a small metadata key on the end of the field definition, um, and the gem will wrap that in a cache block and do some intelligent defaulting for the cache key, um, having to do with the uh, the particular type, the parent object it's coming off of, and, and other things. Um, we've since then also developed in uh, custom cache keys and things like that. It was uh, it was a means to uh, to make our lives going forward much easier. Um, we were going to need caching as a solution, uh, and we were going to need to use it in a way that would be consistent and and accurate kind of across engineers.
1: So how did the development of it work? Did you essentially start a new gem and implement what you felt would be the correct way to implement GraphQL caching, or is this actually extracted from the StackShare code base?
0: Uh, A little bit of both. Um, So uh, some of the elements, particularly constructing the cache keys um, was pulled from some of our early work in the stack code base. Um, but the uh, honestly, one of the biggest elements of the gym is not necessarily handling the cache, but uh, either marshaling or unwrapping the, the object itself, because I- inside of GraphQL, the object we're dealing with is, is much more complex than say like the Rails cache is used to dealing with. Um, and so we have to uh, unwrap that from the GraphQL object kind of into its underlying object and be able to do that back when pulling from the cache. Um, so that's where a lot of the heaviest work came from. And that was, that was uh, built out in, in the gem itself. Um, that got built primarily, you know, initially as a means to figure out hooking into the, the GraphQL Ruby gem itself. Um, gave a place to kind of do that hands off in, in an experimental way.
1: So GraphQL, it still feels to me, fairly new to our community, though it's been gaining a lot of steam, which is fantastic. Was there any performance concerns around your GraphQL in- infrastructure?
0: Oh, a- absolutely. And there, there still is to this moment. Um, that's, that's absolutely something that, that needs to be taken into account. Um, you know, we got kind of spoiled on REST uh, over the last decade or so. Um, you had very clean uh, kind of performance cutting points um, whereas with GraphQL, you know, if I'm requesting 10 records and then rec- requesting an association on each of those records, and then maybe even an association on that, you can build a giant database query uh, relatively quickly and without realizing it. Um, and so when it comes to uh, performance, we've actually had to deal with it basically at every layer. So there are some things that we can cache uh, at the, the server, like the, the API presentation layer. Um, and that's, that's what uh, MyGem helps us accomplish. Um, we have to deal with optimizing database queries, uh, which in GraphQL, it can be complicated. Uh, for instance, there's a couple of situations recently where it would be nice to be able to assume that if someone selects this object, they're always going to want to select this, this other association um, so that we can do things like uh, a Rails include or, or what ha- or a preload. Um, but we don't always know that, and that's not always the case. Um, we get a little bit lucky given that we have full control of the full stack. It's not uh, a public API necessarily. Um, so we've got uh, basically caching at every layer. Um, the Apollo client itself, uh, the API layer, uh, obviously uh, Postgres and Rails do quite a lot of uh, DB caching when when available. Um, but one of the things that we've had to do is actually work very closely with our front-end engineers and determine why they're requesting certain data at certain times, especially for very slow queries. Um, and in a lot of cases, we've had to Manage the ingresses into the schema very specifically, um, so maybe providing an extra top-level query that lets you uh, query a stack up directly, for for instance, or something like that, so that we can cut out indirection and reduce that. Um, you know, and there's there's also a lot of work from a product perspective in kind of cutting. Uh, the user's perception of performance versus, you know, hard data performance. So if the page can load and give you uh, actionable content, but maybe not have some of the design elements or maybe not have some of the below the fold stuff. So we have to work very closely with them on where to cut queries and turn them into say, multiple queries fired in parallel or, you um, uh, sometimes we have to go all the way back to database and, and, and optimize the specific SQL query that, that results. And it's that's still not a fully solved problem, honestly, at least not at StackShare. Um, we're constantly working on different pages, different queries, trying to, to find performance gains and things that we can do to to support a higher bandwidth on that API.
1: Yeah, so I do that Basically, every day I'm looking for places where I can uh, selectively cache things in the application I work in day-to-day. Now, the listeners know um, I'm working in a legacy Rails application that's actually SOAP and REST-based. So I have not moved to GraphQL, so at least I always know what I'm setting. And, you know, we've all had situations where we need to reset a cache, an outage, a version change. So is there a way to reset the cache quickly with the GraphQL cache gem?
0: Uh, not specifically with the gym, um, but it does, in a Rails environment, it integrates directly and automatically with Rails cache. So a, a standard top-level Rails cache clear uh, effectively would, would clear that cache. Um, the keys are also namespaced uh, automatically by the gym so that if you want a finer level of detail, you can actually go to your cache provider and accomplish that. Some of them allow for uh, like key search and things like that, um, or fuzzy key search. And that would allow for say, cutting all of the GraphQL cache keys directly. But no, in the gym itself, we don't provide uh, a mechanism directly. Um, We kind of rely on integrating with Rails to accomplish that.
1: That makes a lot of sense. I mean, any chance that you have to just integrate directly with Rails, you're going to want to do it because you know that they're maintaining it well. So that that's great. But it's good that there's an option to be able to bust those caches when you need to. Okay. Now, um, I think the library is really great, and I'm sure our listeners are interested in getting involved. So how would you recommend listeners get started in contributing to the gem? Uh,
0: to the gem specifically? Um, so... One of the first things I would recommend, and I I recommend this kind of in general, regardless of what question you're asking, um, but try out GraphQL Ruby, Um, you know, play with defining a schema and and kind of understanding and looking at what's going on in terms of, you know, your own Rails app, your own understanding of a Rails app. Um, And then, you know, throw the gem in there. Um, Right now we've got, there's a lot of work that can be done towards documentation, um, which is... Uh, honestly, at least in my experience, has been pretty easy to get started with for a lot of things. You kind of play around with it and you, know, you validate existing documentation or you, you add things that are missing or whatnot. Um, we also, uh, anybody that's familiar with the older version of GraphQL Ruby, um, there was a, a previous a kind of internal way, uh, difference between a, the, the class definition and, and kind of a meta-programmed type definition style Um, The gym only supports the newest uh, approach. Um, We don't support, I believe off the top of my head, it's pre version 1.9. But I have had a handful of requests for that uh, over time. And so it would be, uh, that would definitely be something to to look into also as if, you know, if you're using one of the older versions, definitely take a look at, at GraphQL cache, kind of see where it's, where it breaks for you and, and PRs are always, always accepted,
1: always accepted, <laughs>
0: always accepted.
1: So how can we keep up with you and Stackshare?
0: Uh, so um, right now, most everything I'm doing is, is for Stackshare. So it's kind of one and the same. Um, so if you uh, if you go to Stackshare.io uh, slash weekly, um, we have a weekly newsletter um, that uh, contains uh, a lot of good information, one about the tools you're following and Um, to kind of about what's going on at Stackshare. We do a lot of correspondence there uh, for new features and uh, things like beta releases when we're trying out uh, different experiments and whatnot. Um, So that's uh, stackshare.io slash weekly. Uh, It's probably the best place to go.
1: And I think you might've told me that Stackshare is hiring?
0: Uh, We are, we are. Stackshare is absolutely hiring. for uh for for a handful of different positions um right now i want to make sure i have the most up-to-date information for you
1: (laughs) and we'll Um, link this in the show notes of course
0: ah gotcha that's that's probably best um so uh yeah right now um we're we're looking for people on the front end uh that's uh primarily react um we're looking for data engineers uh we have a lot of data, um, and most of us are web engineers. Uh, so somebody with a bit more, a bit more experience in that realm would, would actually be nice. Um, but kind of in general across the engineering team, backend, uh, QA, we're we're hiring for for a handful of roles right now. Um, you can find the full list at uh, Stackshare.io/careers.
1: Excellent. We'll definitely link that up. So Michael, thank you so much for joining me on the show. GraphQL continues to gain steam, and it's great to hear that the Ruby community is keeping up. I'll be back next week.